Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Hi folks, welcome back. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. I'm your co-host Joe Lu, and today I'm joined with Pastor Lydia, who is the co-founder of 180 Church, pastor of Transformation, and wife to Dr. Sammy. And this week's sermon, we're in the midst of Advent season, and we're talking about the third dark proclivity that the gospel saves us from, which is the Messiah complex. And I found this conversation to be uh, really encouraging and incredible in how much perspective it offers as far as what the crux of the gospel and the mission work is, where it's really about making disciples. And the role and the part that we can play in the discipleship process um, in helping others follow after Jesus as well, um, whether it's from the perspective of a leader or the perspective of a member. Um, there's a lot to garner from this conversation. And so hope you guys get a lot out of it. Without further ado, here's Dr. Sammy. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. Hey guys, welcome back. Yeah, so here's a picture of me with my family. We have season tickets to the Nets. Um, we like to go to games. Uh, I'm a basketball fanatic. <laughs> I've been playing 2K for the last 20 years, almost every night. I've never, even on vacation, I bring my PS4 with me. Anyone have a PS5 they can give me? It's out of stock. Come on, be loving to your pastor. <laughs> Here's a, a picture of uh, us at with watching Steph, waiting for Steph Curry to come out of the tunnel. Um, you know, my life, one of my greatest joys in life is sharing the love of basketball with my family and in the future hopefully with some of you uh, we want to start a basketball outreach again where intergenerational college students and young professionals and older folks can come out and play ball together we used to do that in the beginning of 180 and that's how sort of how 180 started you know I miss those moments and I, I would really love to get the get there again because I think basketball just like any team sport is a good picture of the church we are, we are a body we play different parts. And one part of the body is not more important than the other. <laughs> I remember when we first started 180 and we started playing basketball together. You know, some people were new to the game. <laughs> and I'm starting to say, Joe Lou, he was terrible. Andy, he disappeared. I mean, he had some skills, but he disappeared in some intense game. Where, where'd you go, Andy? I'm kidding. You guys are so much better now. Um, I'm sure you guys could all kill me, but I probably could beat you guys in the first five minutes anyway. And I remember the, the people who were new to the game, they were wide open. And when you didn't pass, pass to them, you saw the team dynamics get, you know, really hurt. They lost confidence in themselves. Because no matter how good someone is in basketball, even in, prof in, in, um, in professional sports like the NBA, you know, Michael, LeBron, it's Steph Curry. You know, look at Clay Thompson. He was injured this year, this year, right, right before the season started, and now they're, they're saying that they, they won't be contenders. So, if you look at that, it's not just one person. A team has to be functional together, and that's what this text is about that we're going to talk about today. The last part of Acts nine, the church 
is a body full of many parts. Not one leader, not one personality, not one gift. And there is this dark proclivity. We talked about three dark proclivities that Jesus saves Paul from in Acts chapter 9. And we said that we would use it as a mirror so that the gospel could save some of these dark tendencies in our lives. And we can help one another become more like Jesus. Right? So, when it comes to this passage, we'll begin to see how the gospel not only saves us. From the first week, we talked about what? Spiritual blindness and pride. Last week, we talked about the insidious desire for unchecked autonomy, right? So that we can be selective in our discipleship, making very clear who is the leader of our life, Jesus, right? Third, Paul, in this chapter, learns that he's not the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah, and he can't have a messianic type of complex where he's the only one that God uses. Even though, as we read, we'll see how God saves him from that propensity, thinking that only God could use him to save the world. So let's turn to this passage and learn how the gospel saves us from the Messiah complex. Hello, everyone. Today's scripture is from the book of Acts, chapter 9, verses 20 to 22, 26 to 27, and 31 to 35. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. And that is the word of the Lord. So at the beginning we asked the question, how does the gospel save us from the Messiah complex? I think that's a very relevant question at this moment, particularly with the moral failing and the firing of Carl Lentz, right? The, the pastor of many celebrities, uh, especially famous for Justin Bieber and, and, and baptizing him in Tyson Chandler's bathtub. 
Kevin Durant, Selena Gomez, and the names go on and on. So when, when a church or a personality, especially here in New York, the New York Times, Vanity Fair, BuzzFeed, still now are following the Hillsong's pastors every move. So what happens when a leader falls? Is that it? Is God no longer moving in New York City? Just because something massive happened in the last few years? No. And this is something I want to remind all of us in 180. 180 isn't special. We're just one of many that God has chosen to use. In big ways and in small ways. But it's not about one church. No church has the monopoly of God's power, God's anointing. No one church has... <laughs> the, all the answers? No, no church is special. No, Jesus is special. And so when we read this text, you see the proclivity of Paul being really into, intellectually gifted. You know, he writes half the New Testament. And you can see from right from the beginning of his conversion, after being discipled a bit and spending time learning the Word of God, that he was very effective very quickly, right? And the first lesson we learn how the gospel saves us from the Messiah complex in this text excavated is the gift of limits. God gives us the gift of limits, meaning not just you and me or one church or one person can do the work of the kingdom alone. And we see that clearly, the gift of limits illuminated in this passage, right? Because look, in verse 20, at once he began to preach in the synagogue that Jesus is the Son of God. All of those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who called on his name? And hasn't he come here to take prisoners to the chief priest? Verse 22, yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. See, he was highly effective in his preaching and teaching. Many were being convinced. But, look at verse 23. After many had gone by, many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. So you see here, no matter how effective Paul was, what happens if he is killed? Is the kingdom no longer going to advance in Damascus? No, God would raise up another. Paul himself would die eventually. And he, again here, the motif of disruption, this time he's highly effective, but again, he is removed because of persecution. He was mortal, right? He could be killed, and that's it. That's the end. Who will carry the legacy of the gospel forward? That's why multiplication is so important. One leader, one church can't do it all. We have to what? Work as a team. You know, this personality-driven lead, one leader um, Christianity is so rampant today, and that's why it causes so much damage. We see that in Carl Lenz. How many people are going to question their faith? Because one leader was living in duplicity. 
And we've seen many other leaders, like Ravi Zacharias, the recent sexual allegations came out. It's, if, if we put all our hope in one leader, and we don't know our own limits, that we can't people put people on a pedestal or make them celebrities. They're just sinners saved by grace. We're going to create a populist culture in the church, as much like politics is becoming, which always leads to a disastrous end. I know churches like Redeemer, when Tim, at the, at the height of Tim Keller's ministry, he retired graciously and made Redeemer decentralize three churches. But you could hear people being upset at Redeemer when Tim Keller didn't show up and he was someone else. Another qualified, competent preacher of the Word of God. Yes, maybe not as gifted as Tim, but people would get up and walk out. And so Redeemer stopped publishing when Tim would preach because people wouldn't come. And if, if, if churches are so personality-driven that way, and you don't embrace the kingdom, not as one leader, what happens? The church dies with the leader. Then the gospel, what? Is halted? The kingdom of God is no longer advanced? No. And that's why over the years when people ask me, uh, I really want you to preach weekly. Or, or people say this, but we have multiple people preach in our church, you know? I preach mainly, mostly, but I need a break too, guys. <laughs> During the pandemic, I took two weeks off because I was mentally and emotionally just gone and having a hard time, you know, trying to be there for you all, but I wasn't be there for me. And if, the, if 180 is going to be here 100 years after me, then we have to reproduce leaders. That's just the way it has always has been done. The gift of limits saves us from the Messiah complex. I know I'm not the Messiah because... I can't continually do it without rest, and I'm not going to. And that's okay, because we want you to believe in Jesus, not because of a leader, not because of what I say, but because you are following him. So multiplication is so key and so important in embracing those limits, those guardrails for a healthy spirituality and a healthy church. In the beginning, we asked a question, how does God save us? How does, the God, how does God save the church from the Messiah complex? Now, I know personally you might not have that, but we're talking about in terms of a collected spirit, not one church. But how does God save the church from having the Messiah complex? Us as a community. Well, second thing we learn in this passage is through the gift of multiplication, right? We see a healthy segue from verse 31. It says that then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord, encouraged by the Holy Spirit, increased in numbers. We've seen in the book of Acts throughout up to chapter 9, we've seen the disciples, right? Peter, James, and John. We come back to Peter here, but we've seen Stephen. We've seen Philip in Joppa, Samaria, leading those revivals. And now we what see Paul. We, we see what? The gift of multiplication. When multiplication happens, it's not one person. It's not one leader. It's not one celebrity. And long as multiplication happens in the church, celebrity diminishes and dies. 
Why? Because the kingdom of God is not about a culture of celebrity. It's a culture of competence. Of what? Lordship and discipleship. Where the Lord's people, or the body of Christ, the brothers and sisters in Christ, what? Minister as a team together. That's the healthy way. Because you see here in verse 32, you see as it, it segues from Paul's story, Luke no longer talks about Paul. It what? It ends in the light. It ends, fades away. The limelight is taken away from Paul and given back to Peter. In verse 32, Peter traveled throughout country and he went to Lydda where he heals a few people. The story of recorded healings happened. So it goes from Paul's powerful conversion to what? Peter's healing. Not one person, but multiplication. The gift of limits as a guardrail. Also the gift of multiplication as making it very explicit that the real hero in our stories is not leaders, but Jesus. Jesus is lifted high. I remember when I was a young pastor. Yeah, at 25, I was selected as a professor preaching. And many people really supported me and mentored me to multiply the kingdom effectiveness. But there were also leaders that tried to hinder that. I remember one time, I was invited by a united group of churches at around 23, 26, to be a speaker for three years in a row. But a really, you know, senior pastor in age, in his really almost 60s, said, you're too young for that. I'm going to do it. And I remember feeling lost of confidence and... You know, and yeah, maybe that's the way to go. But as I look back in hindsight, this person did not understand the gift of multiplication. They thought only God could use them and God could do a better job with them. When the point of the Great Commission, what? Is to make disciples of all nations. It's a multiplication. Now, in my own life as an older pastor, still young, but older, 20 years in ministry, when I'm invited to any speaking engagement, to any engagement at all, the first thing I ask is, can you get someone younger and local? That could really benefit your congregation and them. Because the point of the kingdom is not for me to be on social media or to be a celebrity or me to be praised. It's multiplication. That's my metric and my measurement of how I do any kind of ministry. Will this multiply the kingdom? Because like John the Baptist says, what? I must, what? Decrease for God, for Jesus to increase. And that's fine with me. It's a gift of multiplication. I hope 180 becomes a church of multiplication. Or it becomes about many of you in our church becoming leaders in, in secular sectors and the church. I, I dream of preachers in our own congregation and missionaries to the private sector, the secular sector, and in the Christian circles. Because the gift of limits and the gift of multiplication makes us more healthy and brings glory to Jesus. Kills celebrity culture and carries the kingdom forward. So wherever you might be today, wherever you're sitting right now, will you take this sacred moment with me as the sun goes down? to allow the Spirit to transform us, to embrace the gift of limit, 
to embrace the gift of multiplication as a community so that we can decrease and God can increase. Kill celebrity culture and increase competence so that the kingdom of God moves forward, that God gets the glory and man does not. Gracious and loving Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, deliver me, I pray, from the easy habit of thinking that my spirituality is something between you and me alone. It is difficult to accept the idea that my spiritual wholeness cannot be obtained outside of my life with others. Help me to be open in my heart and spirit to what you want to say to me today. Help me to commit my relationship to you that they may become channels of your grace in my life and that I may become a channel of grace for others. Will you now lift your hands and make this your prayer? Make this song form you. Allow the spirit to form you today. Amen. So I guess like if that's if it's okay with you, I was hoping to start the conversation from the very top. Uh, you okay. know, I know as far as this... Uh, Sermon topic goes, Dr. Sammy was preaching on the like how the gospel saves us from this third dark proclivity, which is the Messiah complex. And so mm -hmm. far, we've talked about how the gospel saves us from pride, selective discipleship. And um, now we're arriving to this topic of how, you know, I guess Dr. Sammy was like positing and making the claim that like the church functions and works together as a team for the gospel work. But, you know, I think one of the things that he was indicating that gets in the way of that or sort of prevents uh, the church from really unifying behind uh, the mission of the gospel is that there is this idea of like a messianic complex that prevents us from being able to do that fully or like to do that uh, well. Um, if I'm understanding that correctly. And so I guess I kind of wanted to get your thoughts and ideas on what um, what really this Messiah complex is that the gospel saves us from. Or like if you could share with us also what you think um, or you could share with us what you think the Messiah complex is and how, you know, the gospel saves us from that notion. Yeah, um, I think you know, from a leader's standpoint, um, I think as a leader, the gospel saves us from the messianic complex because the gospel reminds us that we are a team, a body of a body of Christ, right? That every part plays a part. And so if you look at the human body, like if an arm is broken, the other parts are going to overcompensate right mm. and in the same way as a church if the parts don't play their part it becomes a very dysfunctional movement right and so okay so in saying that um it's important for i think leaders to realize that we can't do everything I mean, I think that a lot of times there's a culture that the leader has to do a lot or a mm. lot more, you know, than um, than others. But the truth is the leader is required to do what is required as a leader to raise up others to do what they do. Really, that's, you know, it's never supposed to be um, this culture of celebrity where you look at one leader to have this answer and to have, you know, 
to play every part. Like, it's not supposed to be representative of all parts. Everyone is a representation of Christ. And I think a lot of times if the leader believes that they can do um, better forever. I mean, yeah, you do better than um, people that are being raised up because you have more knowledge and training and time and experience. But if that is kind of like the norm forever where everyone else is kind of looking to you to do it all always because no one could do it better or no one could do the job as you or half as bad as like you know what I mean if that continues then I think that that's really a problem but the gospel mm. saves us from that by reminding us that everyone um actually everyone is called to be a disciple maker you know mm. Yeah, it seemed like what I was getting from the sermon was that like if there is sort of an overemphasis on one particular part of the body of the church, then the development is sort of lopsided. If if that if, if for lack of a better term, right? It's like if there is like too much focus on let's say um, the shoulder blade to develop, or you know, or like for. An easier one it would obviously be the head. Like if we're, the head were to overdevelop and like the rest of the body does not develop to the same rate, you know, there there is a sort of lopsided development that prevents the body to really function as well as it as it could. Like it's it's really about potential at the end of the day, right? Right. Like you know, for example, like these. Um... I mean, you know, it's that's the thing, though. It we could talk about it in part to a whole, but how does that really play out? I think that part, that whole, um, that transition of understanding it in real day life gets a little bit confusing. I think, and mm-hmm. I think could even be skewed, right? Because then, you know, there's so many generalizations or cliches like, "Well, you do your part, I'll do my part, and everything will work out." But how does it all work out? I think that's really the question. Um, mm. So I think, I guess addressing the whole celebrity culture is important because, you know, it's not so much that the focus shouldn't just be on one person only. That's not really the conversation. The fo- I think the conversation is really... Well, let's, let's talk, let's, um, it's not real. Okay. How do I say this? It's not so much of the, uh, it's not so much about focus. It's more about really the second point of multiplication really comes into play with the first, um, the first point about how Mm -hmm. the gospel saves us from, from the messianic complex is that everyone as a follower of Christ, is meant to follow Christ. And the commandment and the great um, command of making disciples of all nations, right, mm-hmm. is a call to all believers. And so you might say, well, I'm not, I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm not comfortable with this, I'm not comfortable with that. So a lot of times it could be about, you know, well, what are your gifts? But before even all of that, we're supposed to play a part using our gifts to help make disciples. You know? Right. I think that's the goal. So, I don't know. Like, uh, I don't know. I'm having a hard time explaining mm-hmm. this. 
but I think I think I, I get what you're saying because it's like as much as there might be different ways that like or different roles or different gifts or talents and such that go towards discipleship it's, there's no like one strong emphasis on one role right like I think maybe there's this misconception really and I think that's what Dr. Samuel was also addressing as far as the celebrity and placing too much of an emphasis on the personality ethic is that we rely heavily maybe on leaders to take up that role of um, spreading the gospel or making disciples and cultivating a church when that's actually really a team effort done by all the members or all the all the pieces of the body of Christ coming together for that sake, right? Like I think one of the things we say a lot at our church and one of the things that I really love about our church is that it, it takes a village, right? And mm-hmm. like the discipleship process is not just, it's, it's not just emphatic on like a charismatic leader or, you know, like a, a head honcho per se, but it, it is like the body of Christ coming together for that one specific goal of, you know, creating more and more disciples. Yeah, I think, I guess, if we keep using the word role, it could be a little bit confusing. Like, I think it's not, I guess how I would say it is exactly what you said, and that it's not a focus on one person, of what the of what that one person can do, but it's really about focusing on every person who is a believer also playing a role to the part to the whole like you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah All right and so i feel like what i got um from my conversation and from this message is that like the crux of you know why the church exists or like why the community of christ exists is to uh create more disciples right or you know like that that is more or less the kingdom work um mm-hmm. And I guess like one of the questions I did want to ask you is that like as a leader or like from the perspective of a leader, like how have you seen a church grow and like how have you seen a church create disciples in uh, your in in the amount of time that you've been doing ministry? Because I know Dr. Sammy had also shared a little bit about that in this sermon, but I'm sure you also have a take on that, uh, having cultivated this church and having developed disciples over that time, too. Right. What is the question? Oh, um, <laughs> I guess like how, like what is the discipleship process for you or like your experience with that? Sorry, well, was that vague? No, no, no. No, I missed mm-hmm. it because when you explained it. Um, <laughs> well, when people come to Christ, you know, you you don't expect them to, um, I guess that know everything right but there is an expectation when they first come to Christ that you lead them in what it means to follow Christ so it becomes an organic but intentional process of leading people to understand what it means to follow Christ and over time as people begin to understand that along with receiving this grace and forgiveness and freedom of Christ it becomes um, almost like a reproductive uh, missional thing itself in that when you receive something that's good, you want to share with others. 
So while you're doing the mission as a believer, as a newly believer of sharing the good news with others, you're also being formed. And so it's like a, not a one, one way or one thing kind of thing, but as you're doing mission, you could also be becoming and being formed. And over process, as you become a follower of Christ who understands what it means to follow Christ, you also you know, actually, it doesn't even have to be after a year. As you share the joy of following Christ and this new way of living and new person of following Christ, you begin to share that. And actually, it becomes an exponential process if done properly. Mm-hmm. Meaning, I mean, properly sounds like such a, you know, like a stoic word, but actually it's supposed to be exponential as you share like a woman at the well, when he met, when she met Jesus at the well, when Jesus spoke into her life and when she was liberated from the burdens of the, you know, of her own sin and culture, she went into the town. She dropped the jar, left it there and went into town and said, let me tell you about a man who knew everything about me. Right. So the exponential process begins where she begins to share the news and that literally reproduces itself because good news is meant to be shared with more than just a few, you know? Mm. So, yeah. Right. Right. But I think, I think something that you stated is that, you know, as, as much as it is like, the call for the church and its members to also be doing mission. Are, are you also suggesting that the mission is also like the discipleship process of the members and the people they are doing mission to? The mission is to make disciples. <laughs> mm. I think we don't always, um, I guess, connect that but the uh, the the biblical assumption is that to do mission is to make disciples because making disciples means to make followers of christ and it's the initial stage of the mission the initial stage is that the person has to meet christ Mm. so evangelism is part of the process of making disciples Mm. i see uh, I feel like there is, that's as, for lack of a better term, that's as clear as it can get. Because I feel like there is sort of this feeling, and I think this also comes personally, is that there is like a overcomplication of the process, right? Like, you know, I think when it comes to how maybe some of us view the way a church functions, it is like very top heavy but then like the discipleship replication process is not necessarily done just solely off of that there there's like so many more components and so many things that um that were like again like i guess like we're trying to stray away from the word role but like there there is that call for the body of christ to also be making disciples like because that's what it means to be a part of the great commission 
Right. I think it's easy to get confused with roles, like everyone playing a role. Like, what does that look like? Yeah. When we look at it more event oriented or like system oriented, like oh, like small group, I'll show up to small group. Um, accountability group, I'll show up to accountability group. Or you know, if there's an event, like let me, okay, I'll I'll volunteer to set up chairs, or I'll volunteer to clean up, I'll volunteer to pick up, you know. Or greet. When you look at an event focus, um, I think we could kind of get lost. Well, I played my part. I'm done. You know, like until the next event, I guess I did my part. But that's not what um, the, that's not what uh, the Bible's talking about when it talks about playing your part. It means in life. You know, a lot of discipleship is done not at those meetings, but those are like focused opportunities of evangelism, or focused opportunities to um, gather as a community in small group or you know big meetings. But really, it's in the everyday life that you're in relationship with people that are wanting to come to Christ, wanting to know about Christ, and wanting to grow in Christ. It's really um, in between those events and in not so much inside, but it's outside of those groups where disciples are formed. Mm. Does that make sense? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think I'm like still synthesizing um, sort of the major components of this message because it's like, you know, when I was first listening to it, when I was thinking roles, right? Like I, I think I put myself in a bin or a category that like sort of checks off the boxes, right? Um, mm-hmm. Where it's like, oh, I have certain responsibilities in the church. I do show up to small group. I show up to service every week, right? It's like, I go down the list and it's like, am I doing my roles? And it's like, I, I think there was like this assumption that roles meant function. But mm-hmm. what you just described, which I feel like, really was the heart of um even how i got introduced to christ or you know how i started to become a disciple was that very intentional organic process that you're describing that's like way more between the lines than a certain Mm -hmm. role or function you play in in an organization you know yeah exactly yeah I think it's easy to think event oriented at this point because there's really no gathering or really, you know, friction of people, you know, there's no rubbing shoulders here because everyone is, I mean, locked in, but not locked in, you know, we're not really gathering um, in person, but the church is meant to be a daily living thing intentionally and organically with one another, sharing the good news organically and intentionally in daily lives, you know, in our sphere of influence. So, yeah. Well, um, I guess, I guess I have a question regarding that then. Cause I think like maybe, so I'm sort of reminded of when I was in college and, you know, um, being part of, uh, you know, our fellowship at NYU 180 Fellowship, you touch hands with a lot of different churches and such like that. Um, and I recall that there were churches that had like a discipleship process, like a step-by-step. This is like how you disciple, or this is how this church disciples and stuff like that. But I feel like what you're describing is kind of the 
it's not it's not really like that at all it's not really like a this is a procedure of how to disciple but there's something about immersing yourself in relationship or you know going outside of the box as far as like what an event or like a group is like that I feel like you're kind of alluding to or you're talking about as far as discipleship right because Jesus discipled his disciples by spending time with them every day um not saying that it needs to happen every day like literally physically on FaceTime but like Mm. he spent time with people he ate with them and I guess why I say organically and intentionally is in the same way that Jesus like conversations came up because he spent what time with them you know I think that there is an old way of looking at things and you know what there's nothing wrong with uh, having a procedure because the thing is Sometimes things have to be more official because you can't manage um, a large number of people wanting to know things. Like then you have to have a class, right? Or you have to have a, a gathering that kind of helps people um, walk them through, um, I guess, you know, more formally. And that's necessary too. But I think overall... You have to be in relationship with people if you want to lead them. Um, you know, mm. contact is very important. Right. Right. So, I mean, I, I just want to ask this question because I feel like it does pertain a lot to myself and maybe um, other people who might be listening to this and wondering, you know, like, am I also doing my part or am I fulfilling my role? Because like, I think I love that Dr. Sammy brought up how when we were younger or when I was younger, or like, I guess at church was younger, um, that we, we used to, we used to play a lot of basketball together. Um, and I feel like, you know, as much as he like, you know, called me out for being bad at first uh, and stuff like that, there was like this process of how playing together on, on like a micro level, playing together as team as a team helped me develop to be a better basketball player. But also that ministry itself was a very organic and intentional thing to right. also mm-hmm. include me in a discipleship process. You know, it wasn't like, right. you know, it was like out of friendship and relationship, camaraderie, you know, like butting heads, even like, like, a, it, it, you're right, I think, in that you're describing that discipleship involves a very intentional process of doing relationships with people yeah and that's why the you know the formal gatherings of basketball ministry you know it's so important because i think nothing just happens organically it has to be intentional you have to sow a seed for the sow to bear fruit right it nothing happens in a vacuum and i think that a lot of times people don't take their part um of the function of the church because well people go well if it's god god will do it but God sends people to do it, you know? So I think it's really uh, also a message of helping people to kind of rise up to their role um, because it will take people to represent Christ. It will take people to stand in the gaps of grief, of um, different hills and valleys, um, you know, in relationship to really lead people to or teach people to follow Christ and to know Christ. 
another the another question I want to ask is like how how do how do we really evaluate that um, we are discipling others or that because I guess it's like the focus of um, the latter part of the sermon where it's talking about multiplication and I guess the reason why I'm asking that is because that was like not the initial assessment I made in regards to the sermon I was like more or less focused on whether I have a messiah complex you know uh-huh. but you know like what what are the I guess what are some of the signs do you think as far as how long you've done ministry to know that you are doing your part for the kingdom work in the discipleship process. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? I could tell your story. <laughs> oh. Like from, um, maybe this will help illustrate it. So Doc talked about recently that I hurt my arm and basically I was at a commission. Like I could not do much. And what was really interesting is when basically Doc said, okay, don't use your arm anymore. It, you used it way too much. You need to rest it. It's not going to heal if you don't rest it. And he was right because I was kind of like going on month three of being in pain because I was basically not resting it. Hmm. Simple as that. But what does it mean to rest it? Well, it means I can't cook. It means I can't clean. It means I can't do forget half, like, I can't do it. I couldn't do much except rest it. And, um, yes, that was a very odd transition for me because I do a lot of cooking, a lot of cleaning, a lot of, um, you know, things around the house, like, for the boys. Like, I mean, everyone could tell you, you use your arm a lot, yes? Mm. <laughs> you know, you don't have to be a mom. You don't have to be, you know, in my position to know that you need your arm. <laughs> so, yeah, so I needed my arm. And, um and you know what? I was a doubtful rester. <laughs> like, I did not want to take a step back. I wanted to use my left arm and do everything with it. Mm. But, and I did, and it started hurting because it was overcompensating. So, I was literally forced to rest. And interestingly, when I started to rest my arm, I was amazed at how my family stepped up. Like, I did not know my boys um, had the ability to do the things that I would always do for Mm -hmm. them, you know? Um, They started seeing my needs. They started um, helping me out. They started doing the dishes. They started putting the dishes in the dishwasher. Um, They started cooking for me, bringing me drinks. Like... I was really shocked. Like, they started to clean. Um, the house was... House for the... Like, because I was so busy doing everything, I it was rarely a place of rest for me. It was always like, what do I need to do next, right? There's a lot to do around the house. Especially in the pandemic, you're inside and there's a lot to do. But it became a place of rest for me. And mm-hmm. I was shocked. And I think kind of in the same way... Um, if you're asking the question, well, am I doing my part of discipling others or helping make disciples if I'm not directly making disciples, you know? Yeah. I think a lot of times you, so, and I guess this goes for, I don't know, um, yeah, a lot of times you don't know that of what you're missing out on because 
Well, you don't really have the opportunity to think about it, you know, and I think that, you know, a leader necessarily doesn't have to die or fail for you, you know, to reassess whether, you know, you're doing um, the work of the kingdom, right? Hmm. A message like this is just as right and just as timely to ask the question, which I think is why we're asking the question, well, how do I know if I'm discipling? Well, ask yourself that question. I think that's the first step. Like, am I discipling others? Then the question will be, well, what is the expectation of someone who is doing the work of the kingdom? Well, are you engaged in conversation with people that don't know Christ? Um, it might not be a direct conversation about talking about Christ, but are you sharing the life of faith and of hope and of joy found in Christ with others who don't know that joy yet or the person of Christ? You know, and in other ways, are you speaking to other people who are in need of help and of guidance and of knowledge that are, you know, few steps behind you in coming to Christ. You know, in other words, are there people that have come to Christ after you that could use the time and the space of understanding? And, you know, I'm not telling you to teach anyone. No one wants to be preached at or taught, right? right. You know, but organically, are you engaging in relationship with people that could benefit from what others have done for you? to come to this place where you are asking the question, well, what could I, what more could I do, you know, for the kingdom of God? So I think reassessment, I, th I think at this point is really crucial. It gives us that opportunity through this message. Hmm. I feel like that's a really good evaluation as far as also like, cause like what I get from what you were describing was like, am I being present with people in the way that like you have been present with me or like our leaders have been present with us like am i at the end of the day sort of replicating the same environments by which i feel like i have grown in discipleship right i mean because i i feel like in this place where like oh you know i think when you have leaders and like when you're part of a church it's it's like more or less the members or me myself would find that we're on like the receiving side but is like the question that we're supposed to ask am i also giving what i received yeah yeah i see yeah exactly I think also you might ask the question like, am I competent enough? And I think that's the thing. A lot of times I think Christians go, well, I don't have that gift or I'm not competent like you. So I'm not going to do that. But actually, it's really about growing in competence as well. Mm. It's true that um, we've been given different gifts, right? To play different functions of the body. That's true. And we should never try to do what we're not you know that's not at all what i'm saying but if you have a gift 
or if you have an um like a I guess an affinity towards something, but you don't yet know how to go about that function. Well, mm. I think it's kind of like, you know, Joe, you're in a pre-med track. You're not a doctor yet, but you are studying to become one. So all the resources and the time and the investment that's required to become a physician. Well, there's a process. I think it's also an invitation to in- invest and engage into the process of becoming competent and mm. really having a growth mindset and growing in a functionality to help um, in the kingdom of God. You know what I mean? To build a kingdom of God. Because that's like saying, going back to the very um, first in this uh, this series, the question that you know Doc asked, like, are disciples made or are they born? You know? Mm. And the truth is, every disciple is made. And he used the illustration of Brownie. Brownie was never just, she was not a good dog at first. She was a baby, just like all puppies, right? But she had to be trained. She became a good dog with the help of a leader and reinforcement and of a good environment um, and practicing those, you know, commands. She became a good dog. So in the same way, I think we have to allow ourselves the process to grow into roles um, and invest into the roles of the kingdom of God and not just in the same way that we would in our, you know, people would do in their careers. You would invest time and resource in the space. And I think we need to do the same with our roles at, in the church. Mm. Right. And so I feel like with that being said, uh, a major part of what this sermon was addressing is that somewhere, whether it's from the top, as in like leadership, or somewhere from the body, as in the community, uh, or like the body of the church, they ha- there has to be like a coming in the middle of doing doing what you doing your part for the discipleship process, right? Because it's like it's almost like as a member stepping up to disciple others is sort of for is sort of like the antidote for like a messiah complex if if i'm like if i'm thinking about this right because it seems like from the other end it's like if there's not a lot of opportunity or a lot of um empowerment for the people around in the church to contribute to the discipleship process it's it's always going to be like top heavy in that way and so it's like there's like a playing playing your roles from both parts mm-hmm. in that i wonder if i'm synthesizing this correctly but that's sort of like the the way i'm making sense of what it means to like step up to the yeah. Step, yeah well i guess to maybe clarify that um So the word leader, I think we use leader a lot where, you know, but leader in biblical definition is really a servant, servant leader. So um, there's really no, I guess it diffuses the confusion of what the expectation is on both ends Mm -hmm. when the expectation is really to serve one another, right? Right. For the sake of Christ. So 
Is is that kind of like what you were saying? Yeah, I think so. Because it's like at the end of the day, it's all for the service of others and like to love others well and to represent Christ. Yeah. In that way, yeah. Yeah, because the pressure is great um, when you say, "Well, I want you to lead this." Well, I'm not a leader. One might say, "Well, then mm. the biblical definition is, well, I want you to servant." you know, lead this. I want you to serve others. Can you do this? You know? And so that changes the whole, I think, uh, trajectory or perspective about what it means to do kingdom work. You know? Yeah. Uh, Pastor Lady, I feel like, I feel (laughs) that this is, this this portion of what we're talking about, it like really speaks to me because Mm. I feel like even though our our community and our church like we have a lot of workers and we we have a lot of people that are serving um mm-hmm. from from the way that i see it but it's like even though i like know this in my head mm-hmm. i feel like in my heart i i sort of i sort of practice the latter part of what you were saying where it's like am i i'm not, i'm no leader so like this isn't like i can't do this or like this isn't really my responsibility and so like I shunt the re- the like responsibility of discipleship still onto like other people, you know, like, mm. uh, cause it's like, cause I know it's hard and like, I know that it's, uh. you know, it's not easy. Like I, I know that I, my discipleship process was not clean. It was like very messy and mm. I know that people are messy. Right. And so it's like, mm. I just, I just made that connection <laughs> that, you know, like I still but there's an avoidance. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's like I I don't I'm not like willing to embrace that discipleship or like the service like serving others in that mm-hmm. way. No matter like how much I like, I notice that I talk about it. Mm-hmm. My actions don't line up with that. Mm. You know, like I I I recognize that like as much as I say it's like oh, you know we are. Our church and our community does operate on like a decentralized manner, mm-hmm. right? Like there are members stepping up and doing things for the church. It's like, but the discipleship process, I felt like, was something that I was sort you of want to be part of. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I feel kind of caught right now. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, yeah. I, mean, I think um, that's. I think many people feel that way, right? Because they feel like. Well, it was kind of a messy process for me. Do I really want to do that for someone else? You know, I think that's what you're saying, right? Yeah. Like the conflicts that I have to come across, can I really handle those when I can't handle my own life? But I think we take it bite-sized, right? We take one valley at a time, one hill at a time, um, you know, one dip, one up at a time. I think... It can be overwhelming if we kind of look at it as, well, everyone's a mess. Well, everyone is broken, so they're going to lash out at me. You know, you know, if I try to love people, people are going to hurt me. I think if we think in terms of black and white thinking, I think that we'll discourage ourselves probably from doing many things that we probably can if we were to look at it, you know, bite size one one day at a time one space and you know at a time to serve each other to you know i say this uh carefully but like to be there for each other 
you know, I say carefully and cautiously because I think that sometimes there's an expectation of what a church is supposed to be. Um, and when people don't meet your need, people will get upset at you. Or when pe- when you don't meet people's need to their expectation, people will get upset and say, well, you're not being loving. And there's a lot of, um, I think, uh, I guess, blaming and lashing out. But why, why I say serving others' needs is because... Well, for the sake of the kingdom, of really representing the love of God, without having a messianic complex that you could actually save them or be the one to help them in everything. So I think that if we could take it bite-sized and serve people through the valleys, you know, and do our part, and I think this is the part, I guess, that comes together, Without the messianic complex, that I will be the one to do everything because mm. I can do it. I think um, probably makes it a lot more clear, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm. Um, can I ask you also, like, do you feel like you had like a struggle with a messianic complex at all? Because it's like, I feel like one of the general points that i think i'm i'm starting to get from this message is that like there's the side for the members where it's like we're not doing enough and then there's the side from a leader where it's like okay they're like doing too much right like as far as like trying to disciple or trying to do the mission it's like i guess like how do you like how did you come to a place where maybe you feel like comfortably in the middle of those things right like Uh have you like do you know what your experience with the discipleship process was like. Yeah, you're picking my brain about my perspective, right? Mm, like, yeah. what is she? <laughs> um, I don't think I... Okay, let me think this. I don't think that I've ever said, wow, the church is doing too much. Mm. I don't think I've ever said that. I think I've always been so happy when the church does much. You know what I mean? Because that's kind of the goal to be one team. Right. I think um, the question about the tension, I guess, how do you kind of reconcile the tension of um, not doing too much and kind of conveying the roles to others? Um, that part, I think it's a tension because I want people to be raised up to do different roles, um, servant roles, right? Servant Mm. leadership roles. Um, Because as the church grows, you need more people stepping up to a certain level of competence to do what you once did for others, right? That's kind of the goal of a leader, right? Is to disciple people so that they could do what you do. So, but it doesn't, like, again, disciples are not made overnight. And again, I'm not saying that I'm like, you know, I think that it's important to say, like, I'm not saying I've arrived and everyone should do what I do. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm just talking in terms of, um, well, I can't reach everyone in the church. I think I know that, right? right? So who will be able to reach the people that I won't be able to reach to the extent of relationship that others in. Mm-hmm. Do I need to dive into every relationship? Um, and the truth is, you know, 
I honestly struggled with that. I wanted to be the person that was in every relationship. And I think that in the beginning uh, stages, I felt that I had to. I thought that was a responsibility I had to have. And because for a time it was, you know, mm. just like Jesus kind of started with the 12, right? Yeah. But I think I learned that I couldn't. And when I learned that it was okay, that I wouldn't be part of every relationship, I think I started to really ask um, and seek wisdom about exactly what is my responsibility, God, so that I can empower others to serve and lead others, right? And to help people do it to the extent that I could, or um, someone did for me and I could do for others to come to this place of realizing that the kingdom of God is made of workers doing the work of the field. So for me, I started asking the Lord wisdom for key, you know, key, um, I guess, direction. I had to really ask God for direction. Where are you leading me? Who are you leading me to? Because I don't always know. um, What God is up to in the big picture, I could only be led one step at a time. So as I as I obeyed one step at a time and showed up in people's lives and were present, I was present and also present in places of completely out of my comfort zone. I think I saw disciples being made and disciples being made making disciples. So it mm. it could it I guess it kind of um encouraged or pushed forward the exponential process of discipleship making as a church and not just me you know speaking just for myself yeah Hmm. well i feel like uh your perspective is like so different from mine um which i guess like makes sense uh (laughs) but I, i i mean i think i mean to say that because like i think i'm thinking about a couple of small groups I had recently with like uh, one of the younger members in our church. And, you know, it was like a conversation about discipleship. And I was explaining like one of the most important things that you need to have are mentors to disciple you and like accountability. Um, And I think I knew that, I think I knew that I, I, I was supposed to take on or like or I had the thought that I'm like ah, I could you know that you're I, the mentor yeah or like <laughs> not that I am it's just like I, I know that there's like that opportunity to do it um but I I didn't or like I just I didn't want to you know like I just mm-hmm. didn't yeah I, like I just was a very resistant to that idea mm-hmm um, but now I'm starting to get the sense that like, uh, mm. I'm supposed to, like, I, I've been giving, I've been given much, um, uh, obviously I've been given a lot being that I know that it's like really important to have, um, uh, great leader figures, but also like great people around you to hold you accountable towards, um, to our values and to God's mission. Mm-hmm. And I know that I'm supposed to reproduce that, um. And that was mm-hmm. like sort of that opportunity that I just like clearly was not wanting to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I felt like 
your perspective and picking your brain about it a little bit it's just like man it just goes to show i feel that there um I do think that that's like just sort of how God might be facilitating ways in which people can like grow in a role that disciples others as well instead of like being discipled. But that's like I'm getting that from the perspective of someone that has disciples. Do you know what Mm, I'm saying? Yeah. You know, you asked me the question like how do you know if you are living for the kingdom, right? or doing the work of the kingdom, or making disciples, or following Christ. I think the other way to know is, if lately most of the assessment you have about the church is a complaint of how things can be better from an outside-in perspective, then being involved in that, in that, uh, process and being a helping hand or a foot or a toe in that process is also a good way to gauge whether um, you're adding value to um, making disciples and doing your part as a church and not just counting on others to carry out everything. Does that make sense? And I guess I'll say that because sometimes, you know, people will complain and say, well, I think this, this program in the church is not doing it to, you know, to this level. And I'll often ask, like, you mean to your expectation? And it'll often become about their expectation. And then I'll often ask the question, well, what is something you feel you can offer to that, you know, to help it or to serve that team instead of being like a critic from outside it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think sometimes people forget that it's an organization. Yeah, church is an organization, but it's really a a body of Christ. It's really a family that does the mission together. And it's just reminding people that actually you have a part in that, you know, you don't have to look at it as like some organization uh, to criticize so that it could better its work. Actually, you have a part in that. Mm. So I think it's a different perspective. I think that um, we could have about things not going the way that you wanted to go. Well, is it because it's not serving you the way that you want it to? Um, I think that's the other thing. I think a lot of times if we're thinking about it, like you said, like, how does it serve me? Mm-hmm. How has it served me well lately? And if that is more of the assessment and the criticism and you can't really assess because it's almost absent, um, if you can't assess the question, how have I been serving others in this community, how have I been serving others to mm. know Christ and love Christ? I think that's a good assessment tool to ask yourself and finding your part and how you can serve others. I think that would take the bitter bitterness uh, or the complex, I don't know, criticism out and change perspective and become actually a valuable person, you know? 
mm. in the process. Uh, I feel like that's very prolific because, you know, like tying everything together, it's like, I feel like there's like this misconception that you could fall into where it's like, okay, that means like being a small group facilitator or like stepping up to like designated, like, I don't know, uh, like ordained roles in mm-hmm. a, in a church, but it's not, but that's not like what you're describing. It's like this, like very much goes back to that intentional and organic process of discipleship, right? I just wanted to make that explicit. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. You know, a phone call from a friend in a church just to check up on that person. Like, hey, how are you doing? I saw that, you know, you, you know, I saw you at small group and you didn't seem so happy. I just want to let you know that I'm praying for you or, hey, is there anything I can do? You know, um, you know, Mm -hmm. I think those conversations are so valuable to the body of Christ. So like, just like, like you said, it doesn't have to be a designated role or ordained role, um, assigned role like i think the the extra mile of doing things that you're not assigned i think is really what makes the church beautiful really and is really what makes um relationships strong um and ties strong to do to be a stronger family of christ a body you know if that's really what those are the vitamins that make the church body of christ vital so it's I, I I really want to say that like you might say I don't have a role I don't really mm-hmm. I'm I don't belong in a team well you can serve anywhere you don't need always permission to serve others so mm-hmm. so if it, if it's like the structural stuff or like I guess like the framework of a church is like you could think of those as macronutrients are you, like, <laughs> you're sort of saying like the relational parts where like people are checking in with each other people are in relationship and having conversations that are meaningful and you know like being involved and immersed in the community are like those micronutrients yes that's a good way of putting it too yeah i knew i was going to find a bio application (laughs) Yeah. yeah and you know people think you know like you know, till this day, you know, you might think, oh, Pila, you, you, Pastor Lee, you've been doing this, so it must come easy for you. No, relationships are hard for me. Mm-hmm. It's hard for everyone because relationships are difficult, especially when you're willing to be in relationship with people and present in every season and not just chuck them and abandon, you know, and take flight when things get difficult. People go through grief, people go through loss, and people go through bad days. Like, Monday blues is real. Like, and that's kind of like the least of all the things that I already mentioned. But, you know, till this day, I'm surprised when I'm led into a conversation with someone in our congregation, and I'm surprised at how well it goes. Or I'm surprised at where God takes that conversation just by the obedience of being present in someone's life, you know? So it's not that I walk into conversations like, oh, I've been doing this, so I know exactly what to say. No, relationships are difficult. Relationships are complicated because we're complicated and we're going through a pandemic, especially. 
So I think that when you kind of, you know, there's the whole messianic of, yeah, I don't think that you should do, you should chew more than you could. Wait, what is it? You shouldn't bite take off a more bite. Than you could chew. Yeah, yeah. You know, having said that, are you the own your own assessment? A lot of people say, I can't do that. I can't. I would say a little bit of push is not such a bad thing. But um, because some people never say yes to anything, right? So that's for that. But if you're always saying yes and you feel like, um, you know, God is, let's say you are one of those people that say yes and you're overwhelmed constantly, but God is making it very clear. He's convicting you to step out of comfort zone to kind of be present for someone. I think obedience and showing up in that space is so powerful because you'll be surprised at where it goes. I'm not saying it's going to be an episode of Full House where everything is like, you know, fixed and hugs by the end of that one conversation with a friend. It might it might take a process, but I think it's such a beautiful act to be able to be present with someone in whatever season that they're in. And the Lord will lead us to do it, even though it's uncomfortable. Mm. You know, you could clearly say no. But, and he will raise up others. But thing is, I think that there are a lot of holes in the gaps and, you know, in the church that we could fill. You'll be surprised at the undesignated roles and, um, you know, things that you can do to serve others. So, mm-hmm. I guess the next question I have for you is like a very practical one. Um, mm-hmm. I guess, like, where do you find that role, right? Um, Because I guess there are certain systems put in place, like small groups and such like that um, within our community. And maybe people are thinking about their friend groups and such like that. But, like, I guess where does one even begin to start engaging with discipleship, right? Like, how do you, like, where, where do you, like, sort of check the temperature of, like, okay, maybe this is where God is calling me or like, or maybe even like the other end where it's like, Oh, maybe I'm being called to disciple. I guess that might've been the last sermon, but you know, like, I guess I'm like trying to gauge where in which God might be like calling you towards. Mm. Well, okay. That's a lot of questions at one. I honestly think, but so to be a disciple is literally to follow Christ. And to follow Christ means to make disciples, which means that you would be, you, you're called to come out of comfort zone and to share what you've been given with others, mm. which is the hope of Christ, right? Right. So having said that, um, that's the part about sharing the good news with others and the hope of Christ and the reason for the joy and the hope of Christ, that part is not so much about, is that a good fit for me? Is that where God is calling me? That is a call to all. Just like we're not meant to hoard Mm. the blessings that God has given us. We're meant to become a blessing um, to be, we're meant to be blessed for the sake of blessing others. Right? So that's a call to all. Now, if the question is, well, how does, um, as a disciple, how do you best fit specific roles to serve well? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that too is also, um, 
it organic and intentional. Um, let's say that you want to serve by... It's a lot simpler than I think the way we make it, but mm. let's say it's like, I'll make it really simple. Let's say someone has a really great smile and every time you come to church and this person, every time you say hello to this person, this person just makes you feel like, wow, they saw me. Like that, that person has a great smile. Let's not even go deeper, right? Well, I think that person would do really well um, at a greeting, greeter, like a, as a greeter, right? Mm. Because that infectious smile will spread joy to others and welcoming heart to others. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think you start where you can and you get, you could get shifted in different ways um, as people get to know you and people discover different talents and gifts about you. So I think, I guess, I guess I would just say you start where you can and sometimes people will notice that about you. And I think sometimes you could just kind of volunteer to serve and, or ask like, Hey, I'm available. I, where can I serve? You know, where can I help? And in, within those roles, you get to know people. And I think again, the organic intentional process begins and, it perpetuates, you know, organic and intentional process of serving. And the roles get clearer, what you're good at and where you can serve better. So mm-hmm. it's a real process, I think. More practical than I think, you know. Right. It, it like kind of starts with where we're already at and then maybe it develops into something bigger than where we're at you know like i guess that's like exactly. a really sim- yeah that's like a really simple way to put it but it's like because i think one of the things that really struck me is that like dr sammy mentioned towards the end of his sermon he's like he envisions uh this church raising you know more speakers more ministers more uh evangelists and such like that and it's sort of like oh there's already the feeling that's like oh i can't be that you know like i just, I, uh-huh. I don't i don't see myself doing that but it's like i think what I get from what you're saying is that you'd be surprised how like engaging in the process of discipling and having more people follow Christ and, you know, walking in that direction, like sort of brings you to that area, just like Paul in that way. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'll tell you, like, I wasn't always a pastor. I wasn't always a disciple. I wasn't always a believer, but when I, um what became a you know born again right follower mm-hmm. of Christ um I started in like I literally just started in like the smallest role in the community that I was part of or the fellowship that I was part of and it was doing dishes <laughs> oh. yeah that's where I started and because that I kind of looked at the fellowship and I thought what could I do well mm-hmm. at the time I just thought, well, I can't lead worship. I can't. I'm not a speaker. I, I'm not a teacher. I'm not a group leader. I'm just kind of starting out. I want to be in a place where I can learn while adding value. So, I asked, "Can I do the dishes every time you guys gather to eat?" So I started doing the dishes, oh. and as I started doing dishes, um, people, I guess, I people will come alongside and others would join dishes and I kind of got to know people like that and you know 
it's really you start where you can and you serve because workers are always few than enough in the church. It's just mm. how it is. Jesus said that too. He looked at the field and said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray that God will raise up the workers. And that's kind of always the truth about church. It's never enough workers because people that need to come to Christ is always going to outweigh the number of workers. And I think that's not a bad thing, right? Hmm. It means that we are um, conscious of the fact that um, there are more seekers and people who need to hear the gospel to come on the verge of even seeking Christ who may have never thought about it. So if you kind of look at it like that, we should always be outnumbered. But it doesn't mean that um, there are roles that, I mean, you you know, I think I said it already, but Mm. there are always things that need to be done and more help that is needed in the church to be able to do that directly help indirectly help so that others could do what they do like you know there's so many hands and feet and hearts that are needed in the church whether we're meeting physically or not on a daily basis of people just showing up for others as vitamins right which is Mm. vital the macronutrients the micronutrients it's so vital to the church and i think if we look at it that way and not in this perfectionist way where am i doing what i'm supposed to be doing Mm. and we just kind of look at it as well where can i serve where can i start where do they need help you know i Mm. think if we look at it that way it becomes a lot more practical and um you know yeah Mm. That makes but, a lot of sense. Yeah. So, I mean, also, I never thought that I would be leading worship ever because I was always like a piano player and I never really sang. But here I am. I'm leading worship mm. and, you know, yeah, speaking, but worship and, you know, creating music for church. But, you know, it's it's interesting. Like, I remember in junior high school, we had a sub, and you know when you have a substitute teacher, all the kids are kind of like in their own crazy zone. And so I was sitting with a group of friends, and they were they went they were in chorus, and I belonged in um, band. So again, I I play instruments, I don't sing. I always thought thought that about myself, right? Mm. But you know when subs are there, like kids sing, and they do all sorts of games, and well, it all depends on how. The teacher, I guess the sub has in the control of the classroom. But on this particular day, I was hanging out with a bunch of chorus group girls, right? Mm-hmm. And they were singing a song that just came out. I think it was by like, I don't know, uh, the Bangles, I think. I don't the remember. Bangles? <laughs> That's a football team. I'm, I'm a, no, well, there's also uh, not a worship team, but like a singer group called uh, the Bangles. Uh, really old Uh, that reveals my age right it's like an oldie okay i guess (laughs) it was so new then but Uh, it's an oldie now but i think it was by the Bengals, and they were singing that song and i because i loved the song i started singing along Mm. and then the girls were like oh my gosh lydia you can sing i we're gonna tell our chorus teacher because we need a soloist i'm like what whoa and and so I didn't join chorus, okay? Mm. I did, and it took me probably 20 years after that to realize that maybe I can sing, right? 
I mean, I'm not saying I'm like the greatest singer, but like I can sing, right? Definitely. And, oh, thank you. (laughs) But, um, you know, but at the time, it was like, I was dumbfounded. I was like shocked. I was like, I was just singing under my breath. And this, these girls were like, we're going to tell our teachers because we need, we're looking for a soloist. And, and I just thought that was so interesting. But I share that because, so no, I didn't sing a solo. I stayed in gym. I mean, not gym. I stayed in the band. <laughs> I played the clarinet. Uh-huh. But I say that because when you're in contact with people and you're in a context where you could be cultivated to the, you know, in different ways and grow, hmm. you know, you might find out some things that you didn't know about yourself wow. that God had in mind, you know? God gave you gifts that you might not be aware of. And that is the beauty of the church. Mm -hmm. Gifts you weren't even aware of as you are in relationship organically and intentionally comes out. Wow. That's, that's really true. Uh, you're right. It's like in a group of people or like in a community that like people recognize that you have certain gifts, skills, or talents that like add value. And like you wouldn't, you wouldn't notice those things unless somebody pointed it out to you. Exactly. Wow. What a, exactly. What a good point. Wow. Yeah. And that's why I think um, disciples making and serving all that, like there's no need to complicate it. You just start where you can. I mean, I really believe that I had a gift of dishwashing because I was so good <laughs> at it. Because <laughs> I stacked it so well, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, hey, um. And I'll do dishes even till this day, and I don't mm-hmm. mind. But yeah. I think there is a process of God will lead you where you need to be so that from where you are, you can serve in the best capacity, you know? Because truth is, we can't serve, we can't do everything. We could only do the most of what we can, empowered by the Spirit, you know? Oh. So I kind of, I think that kind of could also defeat the Messianic complex. I think you realize as you're on the process of what God is building and not kind of in your own insularity of comfort zone, you realize quickly that you have limitations. Right. Yeah. Only in our heads do we think we could do everything. You know? When you're actually in the context of serving with others, you realize quickly you can't do everything. Hmm. That is so true. I feel like a really great takeaway that I'm getting from this is that like our development and our discipleship is a result of like being in the presence of others that can recognize not only your giftings and your talents, but also like things that you're not good at or like things that you're, you know, like this is sort of the accountability aspect because like I guess I get the very superficial example I could think about is like, you know, when I did start playing basketball with Dr. Sammy and the guys, Mm -hmm. I was, I was really bad. Like Mm -hmm. the only, the only role I had was grabbing rebounds and Mm -hmm. just, and just passing it to the leader on the court. Right. Or like the point guard. Mm, Um, picture. (laughs) Um, And so like I, but like over time and at playing more with these guys, like playing every week, like three times a week, you know, I started to learn to dribble. I started to learn how to shoot. I started to learn how to... Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like my development process came from, like, people helping me with the things that I'm bad at mm-hmm. or, like, the things that I i wasn't good at. And then, like, I found that I could shoot. And then mm-hmm. I, I, I still can't really dribble. 
but I, but I could shoot, you know, like, <laughs> uh-huh. and so like, it, like being around people, being around this community has evoked and like brought out certain strengths I would ha- would I wouldn't have recognized because I like was not good at them or like was you know I did not even think to develop if it wasn't for the fact that it benefits mm-hmm. other people that I'm playing this game with to like mm-hmm. be good at this or like to be better and such like that and I think wow I feel like there's so many lessons drawn from that in re- response to how discipleship is done it's like it is like through the recognition of the people around you leaders that have experienced more and have more wisdom and like people around you to like lift you up and help you develop to the best you can be so that you can also do that for the people around you because i think you know eventually like people like the people i play basketball with the younger people that i play with would look to us guys that were groomed to play basketball Mm. to help facilitate the game so it's like yeah and i think that it kind of being in community and in the context and and having a starting point and starting somewhere you know all of this kind of goes through all the messages that you know sam went through about you you don't need just god you need god and you need like how god sent paul ananias Mm to make sure that he doesn't become isolated you know Mm -hmm. or from you know kept him in community so that he doesn't grow zealous and become delusional you know so i think yeah i think when we're in relationship organically and intentionally serving one another and serving um different purposes for the one goal of serving the kingdom of God, like building the kingdom, right? I think I think it takes care of many of the proclivities that we have, mm. you know? And even delusion, I'll tell you a funny story, right? Like truth is not everyone, not that we want to focus on the serving part only, but not everyone can do everything, right? Yeah, for sure. God, God has given specific gifts for some. So I have a running joke with someone, you know, very clo- I'm very close to. And, um, you know, she's, I love her, but she's tone deaf, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> but, um, you know, the joke is always, uh, she'll always come to me and be like, oh, when is the worship, worship, uh, practice? <laughs> and, um, I'll always tell her, oh, it's at 4 p.m. Like, well, I'll always joke and then I'll tell the team it's at three, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, you know, church becomes a place of, um, and I, I love her, but, you hmm. know, it's funny. She knows this. I'm joking. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling the truth about her not showing up, but I'm joking about, <laughs> you know? But I think that in the same way, like in con- context of community, there's also truth about, you know, delusions that can be straightened out right. in reality. So I think that, um, yeah. <laughs> right, and those are and just like those are certainly the gifts of limits, though, right? Like, yes, it's just that there are some things that we just cannot do, and I think that's okay, right? Like, there's other people yes. that do those things. Like, yes, I mean, I I don't think I could be a worship leader, but that's why we have you. Like, you are our worship leader, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think that's just how. You know, like, I I think one of the things that I reflect on when it comes to that is that, you know, 
a, a while back we had sermons about how the church is a mosaic and people do bring different gifts strengths um experiences and backgrounds to like how you can have like a thriving culture and like a very like healthy um mix of people that are uh diverse but like are are unified under the same vision and under the same mission and i feel like that's why like like you know like not every like the way i think about it is that like your you know your hands don't face the same way was that a weird analogy like you know you don't have like two left yeah hands. no that makes sense yeah yes. like there's a reason why you have a left and a right hand and like there's reasons why there are certain parts to the body that do very important functions but you can't ask the ear to necessarily like see for you right yes exactly yeah wow there's another i'm learning a lot it's like i'm studying for bio and studying for discipleship mm. yes it's interesting that god um you know designed it so that we would be called the anatomy anatomy of christ or the body yeah of christ, the body right? of christ right yeah it's very uh, prolific analogy because like it's true like it has to come cohesively together mm-hmm. in order for it to even work and to continue to develop and grow yeah i think the first time i heard someone make an analogy like when i was like an early believer like um you know your toenail needs your toe needs your toenail don't ever say that you know it doesn't need each other or don't say that I don't need you. Mm. I was like, you're making this up, right? (laughs) But you know what? Bible clearly talks about it that way. As minute as it might be. And the truth is the toenail needs the toe. I mean, toenail doesn't need the toe. (laughs) The toe needs the toenail. Have you ever jammed your foot on something and your toenail falls off? It's very painful. Uh, it's there for protection. Mm-hmm. It's there for also it makes it look better, honestly. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it would be weird if toes had no toenails. So I think it serves every purpose. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the design that God has for us, that we would know our limitation, but we would know that our you know, what we can do to help each other is so vital to the mission and to one another. Um, as a body for the sake of others you know it's mm. always for the sake of others right i'm really glad we had this conversation <laughs> me too it was very difficult it's, we had so many technical difficulties oh, yeah. coming to this conversation yeah there was like a there's a lot coming in here as far as like frustrations and like anxieties i think but like after it being said and done and well not done but you know after it being said and us engaging in this conversation i feel like i'm you know i I feel like i'm being reminded of like why why i encountered people that want to live for the gospel Mm -hmm. and just how much that has affected me and how how important it was for me and like how could i like not also replicate that for others who i know probably have felt the same way i have at a, a certain point or continue to do so today right it's like there is that need for christ to be met and known um amongst people and it's like what a what a great reminder that i 
am a part of this or I become a part of this. I've been incorporated into this body and like I can be like an extension of it to mm. sort of pr- reproduce the same uh, DNA. Well, there we go. Another bio application. But like to, <laughs> to replicate that um, DNA and um, wow, you know, like it just kind of takes me back 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And then like bringing that context back here. And it's like, I I think I met a lot of the guys that we play basketball with and like in this ministry and in this church at the age I am now. Right. And I was like 14, 15 at the time. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that w- those were some of the most meaningful and like some of the, the most important things that I've, I've ever experienced. And it's like, wow, I, and now I'm starting to have thoughts that I, sh- I could and should be doing the same. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe not so much should, but like, I, I want to do the same. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It would be great if people could do, right, what Jesus did. Right, right, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. And that's the call, to be faithful to Jesus, to make disciples of all nations, right? So, Mm. I don't know how we always complicate it, but I think we complicate it when we make it about ourselves. Mm. But when we really look at um, God's, you know, purpose and design of how he created things. Well, it's not too heavy burden. It's not as um, complex as we make it. Mm-hmm. If our focus is Christ and that people knowing Christ, I think that the burden is almost lifted. And there, yeah, there is an engagement of growing in competence, right? I mean, a speaker will grow in competence and in knowledge of scripture to convey it as the author is meant to, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, there. if we could have a grow, growth mindset about all of that, I think that we could really help one another come closer to Christ, get to know Christ for the first time and to continue to grow in Christ and vice versa. It could be a resting place and a growing place and a missional place all in one for the sake of others. And I think that's what God intended for the church. Mm. to carry out the work you know yeah i mean it was great when i injured my arm people stepped up like i asked people who are not necessarily practicing musicians anymore and honestly i think that in the process of them stepping up for me and making tracks and you know especially because of the pandemic um singing and all i had to do was harmonize because i really couldn't play right it actually hurt to play the piano and I felt like it was a win-win. It made them better. It made it, um, it, you know, it made me better. It made the church better because the church was blessed. Like it blessed everyone mm. and made us better musicians, better at working as a team. It really was, and it still is. They're still helping me. I think it was really, really awesome. And even like the service, you know, it's not made, but it's not an easy process to make any of these things. And there's a, there's a team behind it, you know, editing, you know, um, designing. Like, it's amazing how many people it takes to make one thing happen for one mm. event, you know. Yeah. And even seeing like people read scripture, I think that's been really great too to see, 
you know, like when John Wang, he came and read scripture, like, for example, this week, you know, it was yeah. great. Yeah. You would never, you know, people might not have all those conversations with one person, but when you see them read scripture in the Lord's name, I think that's really powerful mm. and encouraging. And it does its service of not just, oh, someone read it, but it's empowering. It's encouraging, you know? For sure. So it takes a village. Mm. I'm so thankful for the village. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's a great village. Yes. And we need to be a growing village. So. Aha, uh -huh, yeah. That's a very good point. <laughs> yes. But, yep. Mm. I have to get back into the game. Is sort of the mm. sort of the thought that I have. Mm -hmm. I think that's very prophetic. Oh, you think so? Oh, like a basketball yes. prophetic thing? No, I think it's very prophetic. I think people are just in a place where they feel stuck in some ways. And I think really what God's saying is let's get into the game. Right. And for some, let's get back into the game. Mm. And some, for some, let's keep playing the game, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So whatever category you might be in as you're listening to this, God is calling all of you and me, all of us, not some, but all of us, to take part. And as you take part, you will also find your part. So I think let's really heed to the call and say yes and find, you know, find where we could get back in the game. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Play the game. Yeah. Continue playing the game. You know, where's this court? Come on, you know. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, it's more practical than that, right? So mm. it's in the daily things. It's not in the events. Yeah, events need a whole lot of people. And, yeah, I think volunteering, it really helps out. But I think it's in the daily of really showing up for people in space in the name of Christ. Like praying for someone. I think I always say this, but praying for someone, like for me, others praying for me, um, is so so vital to me it literally gives me forget caffeine it really vitalizes me and it picks me up lifts me up so it's encouraging i think praying for people like just checking in on each other because you know we're kind of in the second wave now help checking on each other is really encouraging for people it might not be for you because it might be uncomfortable for the person calling but for the person receiving the call as it might sound awkward, but it people really appreciate it, and you could do that. God, God's love can be conveyed through presence that way. Right. For a seeker, a non-believer, it's again the opportunities are so, 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 so many. Mm. Well, I can't think of any better way to end this conversation but uh do you have any last thoughts on your heart or i guess that's the wrong place but thoughts on your mind or anything, <laughs> anything you want well, to get off your heart <laughs> but i think it's important you mentioned heart and mind you know we're yeah. made of all parts so i think that's great sure. but no i guess that's it that's that was my last thing <laughs> gotcha gotcha well folks we just want to thank everybody for listening in uh we want to we want to wish everybody a safe and happy holidays merry christmas as well 
please join us for Christmas service this upcoming Sunday, uh, December 20th. Um, and yeah, thanks so much for listening. It's a pleasure to have you and we'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs>
be still and know I am God. Be still and know I am. Be still and know. Be still. God bless you. Until we see each other again. Shalom. Good afternoon, everybody. We just want to thank you guys for joining us for our Sunday service this afternoon. Before we finish, we have some community news for everyone, and we're going to start off with tithes and offering. As a reminder, you can always tithe through Venmo at Church180, through our website, 180church.tv, using PayPal, or you can tithe through Zelle and Chase QuickPay at offering at 180church.tv. Our next announcement is about the Bible Reading Group, which you can find on Instagram at 180BRG, as well as on Tumblr at 180BRG. And here we post just a chapter of the Bible every day and a verse of the Bible on the Instagram account so that we can continue to have God's Word present at all times in our lives because we don't live on bread alone but we live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Our next announcement is about the prayer text hotline, which you can find at 5397prayer or online at prayer at 180church.tv. Again, with everything that's going on in the world, sometimes we need a little bit of help. And the prayer text hotline is there so that we can lift up our requests, not only for ourselves, but for our loved ones, our friends, and our family to God. And so that we're not praying about these things alone, but we're praying for them in the context of community. Our next announcement is about small groups. And even though we're socially distancing from one another, it's still so important for us to continue to meet so that we can spur one another on, not just in faith in Christ, but spur one another on and encourage each other through the difficulties and the trials that are going on in life. No matter what stage of life you're in, we have a group that would be great for you. And right now, all of our groups are meeting online. So no matter where you are in the city or even in the country, we have a group that would be perfect for you. Our adult groups meet on Wednesdays at 7.30. Our young adult groups meet on Thursdays at 7.30. And our college group, 180 Fellowship, meets on Fridays at 7.30. If you're interested in joining a group, you can email Pastor Billy at billykim.180 at gmail.com. So finally, we want to invite you to all our social media outlets. Clearly, we are social media savvy from all the lists that you see here, from Facebook to YouTube to podcast. And I just want to encourage you guys to actually follow along because there's so much rich resources that could actually bless you. From insightful articles uh, through Dr. Sammy that he has written, um, especially from Christianity Today, uh, to insightful, thoughtful discussions on the podcast with Pastor Lydia and Joe Lu. In addition to this, uh, we, have, we have a new addition, which is our SoundCloud. And it's a worship playlist of all the things that Pastor Lydia has played throughout this pandemic. So if you've been blessed by any song throughout this time, you'll see it there. Use it as a way to connect with God, to remember that God is with you. And to be blessed by him and to bless others through this situation that's going on. Those are all of our announcements for this Sunday. We want to thank you guys once again for joining us, and we hope to see you soon.